everyone. Welcome to the My Nights Are Booked podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Pollock, and today I'm going to be sharing with you an interview that I did with author Erica Forensic, and she is the author of a book called Girl and Ice. Now, a question I get very regularly, which I think is a great question, but it's also kind of funny to me because it's, well, it's funny. A lot of people ask if I read anything that isn't romance. And and the answer is I actually normally read more non-romance than I do romance, but it just sounds like I talk, I I read a bunch of romance because I'm always talking about it. But that said, I actually end up getting more into books that are non-romance. And uh, that's what I love about Girl and Ice. And just to kind of give you the backstory. So I work with a a number of publishers and PR reps and publicists. And, and, um, when I started working with MB communications, Megan Beatty communications, um, the wonderful reps there, Megan and Stephanie have been sending me the most amazing books from the, the different authors that they represent. And girl and ice is one of those books. Now here's what I absolutely love now. And I, I'm going to preface this by talking about, uh, kind of referencing a conversation I had with you listeners back in the beginning of the podcast. When I said that, you know, one of my loves, I've always loved books, but when I used to work at my university bookstore, I was in charge of the, the bestsellers and the non and the nonfiction bestsellers. And, um, it was, it was my happy place. Maintaining those walls of books was just every week I'd have to go in and figure out what moved and what to order. And it was great. And it also exposed me to so many different kinds of books that I never would have read before. And there was this thing, particularly with paperbacks where you can't send them back. Once you have them, you have to tear off the covers and it's brutal. And anyone who loves books knows that you just can't tear off the cover of a book because it's just sacrilege. But in this case, I, I was introduced to so many books that I, I was able to read for free because I had to tear off the covers and you have to throw them away. But, you know, being me, I gave the books a good home and being a poor college student decided that it was better for me to read them, even though I had a ton of reading to do. But anyway, that was, you know, I, I've always been open to reading just about anything. And one of the things I love about working with Stephanie and, and, uh, Megan is that they send me so many different amazing books that I never know what's coming. And in this case, um, Girl and Ice is one of those books. And I, I was very fortunate to be able to talk with author Erica Frensick about, about her, how she brought this book to life. And hearing her process is something that I, I really think enhances the experience of reading this book. Now, I can't really tell you how I would classify this book. I mean, it's it's fiction. It's it's a thriller. It's it's got a little bit of uh, it's got some true crime in there. It's got some science fictiony elements in it, and it's just it's an incredible story. Um, the story follows. Uh, a woman named Valerie, and she is a linguist, and uh, she's she's dealing with the loss of her twin brother, and he died under some mysterious circumstances while he was doing some work up in the Arctic Circle with a friend of their mutual friend, another researcher by the name of Wyatt, and um, Andy was a climate scientist, and he was really feeling down about everything that's that's going on in the world, and so. Um, you know, a lot of people when he died feel, felt that, you know, it was, you know, he might've maybe even killed himself. Like there might've been some, you know, some, some suicidal thoughts in there and his whole death was shrouded in mystery. And, uh, even, you know, why it doesn't reveal, you know, much because he knows that it's upsetting to Valerie and Valerie has her own issues. She, she doesn't like to go out. She likes to stay close to home, even though she works at a university, like she's, she's not someone who does well in outside situations. And so when Wyatt calls her and says, you have to get up here, I need, I need you to see something. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's asking a lot of her, but she gets in the, in the, uh, she gets on the plane and she goes, what Wyatt tells her is that, uh, he was doing research and doing his core samples and all of that. And then he came across the body of a young girl and they thawed the ice and the girl came to life 
and she's speaking this language that they don't they don't recognize and they can't find any kind of translations and so they think that Val might be able to help make a connection. Now you have to you have to understand that this girl was not recently dead. She uh, th that's part of this mystery is how did this even happen? Because it doesn't matter when she died. It doesn't matter where she came from. The fact is you can't thaw someone out and make them come back to life. That's not how these things work. So right from the start, uh, Erica is, is spinning this tale that's just, it, it's totally unexpected. And it just keeps building from there. And so we get to witness everything from Val's perspective as she arrives in the Arctic and meets this girl and discovers that there's something going on that she can't put her finger on, but she knows that there's something really dark happening and uh, why it's tied to it. It does require a little bit of sense suspension of disbelief because even though it's it's so well written that you start questioning your your science, like I, I know that these things aren't possible, but by God, the way that, that Erica crafts this story, it just makes it come to life in such a beautiful way that you, you truly believe it. And um, it feels like an episode of The Twilight Zone. I mean, it, it really has that, that sense of foreboding and this looming sense of doom. Plus, you're in the middle of the Arctic, so you can't just go outside without being worried about your life and what, what you know the temperatures outside alone are dangerous, but there's all sorts of danger present in this environment. So imagine being someone who doesn't like to go outside, doesn't like to stray far from home, being stuck in a place where you can't leave. You There's no, there's no cars. There's no flights out without having something, you know, scheduled in advance. So this story is, is such a, it's such a mix of genres, but the, the, the underlying tension and the mystery and the just the, 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 the aspect of being stuck in this, this very harsh wilderness. I mean, it's just woven together so beautifully. And what you'll hear in the interview, especially for you aspiring writers out there, you're going to love this interview because she talks about how she crafted this story and the research that goes into it and how she researched her other books to be able to bring this book to life. And, um, it's just a great interview and I really think that you're going to love it. And again, it's times like these that I love just being a reader. It's not about the genre. I will read anything. But when I don't expect a story to arrive, and again, it's kind of like being in the book of the month club. You know, the, the books that, that Stephanie and Megan send are so, so amazing, but so drastically different from each other. You never know what you're getting into. And I certainly didn't expect this story. And it's a story that I have, I will admit, I have read it more than once. I have recommended it to people. And I could honestly see this becoming a fantastic movie. This has movie written all over it, and it should be made into a movie if it's not already being made into a movie, which I don't think it is. But Netflix, you need to get on this. Amazon Prime, you should absolutely be picking this up and, and making this into a movie because it absolutely has that kind of pacing and story. And it's just something that it, it's not something you see every day. It's a very special book. So uh, the book is called Girl in Ice. It's by Erica Forensic. And I am so happy to bring you this interview that I did with her. And I think you're going to enjoy it. So here it is in its entirety. And thank you so much for listening as always and enjoy. All right. So today I am thrilled to be talking with Erica Forensic. She is the author of Girl on Girl in Ice, and it's a new book that's coming out March 1st, and I know I say this a lot, but this book is so unexpected and so wonderful that I cannot wait for everybody to read it. Erica, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Sarah Beth. I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here, really. I, I just, you know, as soon as, as, you know, you're not supposed to judge books by the cover, but I have to say that when your book came in the mail... I was immediately intrigued, wanted to know more, looked at the back of it and started reading this story, you know, the, the cover, you know, little blurb on the cover. And I thought, I don't think I've ever read anything quite like this before. And then I read the book. I was like, oh my God, I definitely have never read anything like this before. I'm like head over heels in love with this book. How, like, thank you. there's so much, there's so many elements to this book, but 
first, let's let's kind of give the readers, like if you had to give, you know, your log line for the book, how would you, how do you describe a book like this? Um, well, I would say that it is, it, it, is a, it is a literary thriller and it's about, it's sort of two interweaving elements. And the first is the thriller element. Uh, it's about an American linguist named Val and she is tasked tasked to go to a very remote climate research center off the coast of Greenland, where a girl has thawed from the ice alive, speaking a language no one understands. Now Val is a linguist, She's, but she also has a pretty intense anxiety disorder. And she's anxious about leaving the house, much less going to some places, sort of terrifying as an Arctic location. And the second, I would call the mystery element is that her twin brother, Andy, uh, was a climate scientist and he was working in this very remote climate research center. And eight months previous, he walked out into the Arctic night, 50 degrees below zero and froze to death. So, but here was a guy who had depression. He had depression about climate change and other things. So. Many people think, including the father, that Andy went out there um, and took his life. Actually, the father's not, not quite sure about what happened, but uh, so, so when Val is asked to go, she, she has her own doubts about what happened to her brother. So she doesn't, and then, and the person who was at the Climate Research Center, um, who, was, who, is, who was Andy's mentor, Wyatt, she doesn't totally trust. So she doesn't really know what happened up there. So she has to overcome a lot just to even get on the plane, planes and, and get to this place. A great, great, uh, I mean, you know, this is a forbidding, forbidding place. Mm -hmm. So that's the story. And, and that even, I mean, no, well, excuse the pun, but that doesn't even really touch the tip of the iceberg when it comes right. to all the things that you have packed into the story, but it, that was a that was a fantastic synopsis of of what what you can expect going into this book. And um, you know, one thing I, I really want to before we dive into it, I think it's really important to note that as part of your research for the book, you went on a similar expedition to experience it, and and in fact, that's kind of part of your your craft and how you how you do things. When you when you wrote the river at night, you traveled to northern Maine and experienced the wilderness there and um into the jungle you went to the you went to the Amazon and and traveled yeah. to these places and so you actually went and and experienced kind of what Val would be experiencing to be able to write this book yes I did and I you know I'm always I'm I'm asked you know many times you know there's the whole fear element which we can talk about which I think is really interesting um but I'm asked, you know, literally, like, why, why do you do this <laughs> when you can, you know, go on Google and you can do all this? And, 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 you know, my answer is that, you know, I'm not very good at many things. You know, uh, I'm not a good cook. I never had children of my own. I can't remember a job I enjoyed, but I can write stories. Mm -hmm. So when I do it, I want to do the absolute best job I can and bring the most authentic setting to the reader, especially when the setting is such an important part of the story. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that writing books is, is an act of love that way. You know, you're, you're an author too, you know, you know what it takes, you right. know what it takes. And, and I just want to, you know, we're not on this earth forever. And I want to leave behind something, the best, the best part of myself. Um, I know you can't please everyone, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, but um, this is, you know, the best I have to offer. And I don't think the story would be the same at all if I didn't go. I mean, I, I, I learned so much when I went to these different places. Um, I really learned about a lot about fear <laughs> and how to handle it myself. And my, literally my relationship to fear changed over this time and during these three trips. And I think everyone is just dealing with fear today. So, 
so much. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not afraid anymore. Of course I am. Mm -hmm. I wake up afraid. Like, what's today going to bring? Oh my God, I have an interview on this. I have that. Will I blow it? You know, probably. But, you know, just, I, and then of course COVID and, and, and everything that brings and climate change. Um, but, I mean, especially, I mean, for, let's, for example, for the river at night. The river at night was my debut. And it's about, it's a thriller, a literary thriller about four women who go whitewater rafting in Northern Maine. They lose the raft and have to survive not only the wilderness, but a mother and son who have disappeared themselves for their own tragic reasons. So I didn't know anyone who lived off the, off the grid in Maine. So I had to do the research I called every uh, Chamber of Commerce from here right up through Fort Kent in Maine, and that's hundreds of miles up to try to find someone who lived, I wanted to interview. And, you know, I found some people who said, well, I know someone. And then they said, but he doesn't want to talk to you. He lives off the grid. <laughs> He's like trying to be alone. And so anyway, long story short, I, I lined up five interviews with five single men and two families. Wow. Um, and I, kept, I was so afraid to do this. Like I kept putting it off until it was winter, you know? So here I am going to Maine in the winter um, to interview these people. And, you know, but I'm not crazy. You know, I, I vetted everyone uh, really hard. Like, I, you know, and I, like, I don't want to, you know, be, be killed or whatever. <laughs> and I went up and I had my mace and I had my, you know, escape plans. But I just found like, uh, I went through lots of layers of fear. Like fear is this big dumb word, you know, it just it just encompasses so many different feelings, you know, anxiety, dread, uh, all these things. And I feel that what I did was I just parsed the situation. Who am I gonna meet? What have I heard about them? Where do I have to go to meet them? Uh, what is what is my way of leaving, wrapping up? And I guess I began, so in that situation, I learned just how to trust my gut about people a lot more, a lot more. And, and the stories I heard were like were so heartbreaking or fascinating. And I just left with this great respect for these people who, who wanted to be left alone and were so independent. Now for Into the Jungle for, for my second book, uh, I did what I do for all my books. I read dozens of books. I read dozens of books about the jungle, watched every movie, interviewed people. But when it came time to, and I set up my trip, I was just scared to get on the plane because I just had read about these massive anacondas and these, <laughs> you know, these plants that can kill you. And I just was like, I'm going to die, you know? Um, <laughs> But then I thought, okay, well, you know, just get on this plane, get on this plane, just get on this plane, then get on the smaller plane, then get on the even smaller plane, then I get on the boat, and then you just, it just go, go, go. Um, and, you know, I was there for four weeks. I was in the Peruvian uh, jungle. And when I first got there, I, I was, I had my own guide, which was guide, which was great, this native Peruvian, wonderful young man, and it, we, the first couple of days in the jungle, I just was talking nonstop and I was, you know, falling behind him because I was photographing everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, day two, he says, look, Erica, um, you have to be quiet. <laughs> Basically, he was kind of telling me to just shut up a little bit because what he was doing was listening. He was listening to 360 degrees of danger we're in, okay? Uh, he was listening to everything. Now, I just heard insects nonstop. And it's just 100% of the time, this sort of buzzing sound, this sawing sound. And then you hear creatures, you have no idea what they are. They're screaming, they're barking. Um, but he could detect a band of 
monkeys from a mile away. He knew what kind they were. There were howler monkeys, titi monkeys, woolly monkeys. He knew from what direction they were coming toward us, why they were coming toward us, how fast they were coming toward us. And everything he knew that. And he could hear with his feet. By that, I mean, there are, there's a kind of, I guess it's a kind of pig. It's called a white-lipped peccary in the jungle. They travel in these big groups. Not real smart. They just run. And if you're in the way, it can be really bad. Wow. So he, one day we were out and he felt that they were a couple miles away. And he said, we have to, you know, find shelter. We're too far from the lodge. We have to find one of these giant trees. They're called lacuna trees. They're like as wide as two buses. They're just absolutely, everything is massive in the jungle. Just crazy. Uh, and we have to find a really solid tree so that we can take shelter. And I, I said, I don't hear anything, you know? And he's like, let's find shelter. So we did and they came and they just went around us, just thundering by us on either side of us. And I was just in awe. And then, you know, just another quick example. He said, Erica, there's a kind of wasp. It's called a paper wasp. And again, everything is huge in the jungle. There's, they have this giant nest, these giant, and I would describe like this giant tubular nest. And they work together and they will send out these scouts, scout wasps. And if they, if they hear you, They'll come and sting you. That's fine, one wasp. But then they will go back and tell everybody. Oh, geez. And then the whole gang will come after you. So there's a lot of reasons to be really quiet yeah. in the jungle, yeah. right? And I just changed. You know, over the days, I went from being terrified to being worried to trusting. You know, his name was Adrian of all names, right? <laughs> Completely to sort of slowly trusting myself, mm -hmm. trusting myself and feeling like, uh, okay, what you need to do is increase my awareness of my surroundings. And we don't have to do that. We live in a house, we control the temperature, we control the animal life on our house sometimes. <laughs> as best we can. <laughs> as best we can control our animal life in the house. There's spiders, big deal. Um, but in the, in, in the jungle, you, you, the way you stay alive and is you, you, you never stop your awareness. And actually it's a very, how can I say that? It's a healthy way to be because you're constantly interacting with your environment. And I, I have a term for it, I call it an ecstatic awareness. So you're in a state of constant awareness. And so when I left, I, I was sad in a way, because I knew I would go home and I wouldn't have to exercise that. I wouldn't have to, and it was just a way of just feeling really alive. Yeah. Um, and so for the Greenland trip, um, you know, jumping over to the Greenland trip, which was two and a half years later, it was from August to September of 2019. And this was my research trip for Girl and Ice. I was so lucky to have gone then. <laughs> yeah, it was just so. I'm so grateful. Oh my god, it was just dumb luck that I that I went then. But um, what a great trip! Uh, one day we were we we took small planes. We went on the uh, ice cap, which is you know Greenland's Greenland's just amazing. It's um it's the largest island in the world. It's a third the size of Canada for land mass. Wow. Yeah, and then 80% of it is this ice, okay? And if you can think of that, it's 1,500 miles north to south, 700 east to west, and at its deepest, it's a two miles thick. So, and it is surrounded by these forbidding black mountains that you have to fly over to, to get in there. Um, but so anyway, just, just one day we were taking kayaks into this fjord, which is just a long, thin inlet. And the water's 
30 degrees, you know, just above freezing. And, and we're floating among, it's called the iceberg graveyard because, because of the sea uh, channels and the currents and so on, these massive icebergs are just swept into this channel. So it's almost like you're in this ice museum and you're, and, and, and I'm, we're in these little kayaks and I was thinking about kayaks too, because the indigenous Greenlanders invented kayaks. They invented them. And the original kayaks were made out of seal skin wrapped around whale ribs to create these seaworthy, you know, vessels that were used. But in any case, so I'm in a modern kayak and we're floating and make me, these are 10 story block long pieces of ice that the wind has carved into these amazing shapes, weird shapes. They look like monsters or they look like cathedrals or they just have a weird pattern that is just so random. In any case, so I asked my guide in Greenland, like, what if they break? I mean, what if something happens if they split or calve or whatever? And he said, well, we have some, so much like the jungle, you know, he said, well, we have to be quiet and we have to listen. And because you're hearing things breaking all the time, mm -hmm. it's kind of scary. You're like, where did that come from? You hear these thunderous booms under the ground, under, uh, from the ice cap, you don't know where they're coming from. And he said, so if one of these break, you need to turn your kayak toward the sound. Because, oh, yeah. Because a, a a massive wave will come and it will it will um, flip your boat. So we're like, well, I look at my I have a half a dozen other, you know, Arctic obsessed explorers with me, and we just look at each other like, well, I guess we're just kind of here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like we can say I'm going to Starbucks. You know, no, you're you're here we're like okay we're gonna shut up and listen and really like if it happens you know you do you just reach a point where yes if it happens it happens I'm gonna turn toward the sound and brace myself you know like we all do yeah <laughs> we brace ourselves but it's amazing what we get through it's amazing and I think that that's just so powerful but you know when I think about your story because you know Val isn't someone who knows these things going into it and so That's she's so seen these things you know even though she's this you know she's a linguist so she has you know a, a lot of understanding about cultures and and the cultures of the region and and you know so she I, I think that I, I love the part you know as you were talking about the seal skins you know because th these things come into play you know all of these uh, hearing your story I, I'm envisioning this you know having read the book it all comes out I mean the, the, the authenticity that you bring to the story is is incredible because you were there you. you experienced it and I think that that's such a powerful thing but for someone I mean I think that's where the real you know the terror in my mind as a reader thinking about being in a situation that you can't control there's no control right. over the situation I mean she's a, she's just you know, in this incredibly remote climate research center with someone who may have killed her brother or not. Yeah, yeah. And, and and just not knowing, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's so many elements to it. I'm reminded of the movie Sphere. I think it was a Michael oh. Crichton story, you know, where they, they have to go down. It was Dustin Hoffman and Sharon Stone and um, Samuel L. Jackson. And they're sent in this they, they have to go, the military says, you have to go down. We found something at the bottom of the ocean and it's like an wow. alien ship, but they have to go down and they're, you know, they're miles down in this, this facility. And you start to realize if something goes wrong, if you miss one measurement, if you don't call in when you're supposed to, if you don't have your guide rope, you know, be it miles under the ocean, on the ice, in the jungles, doesn't matter, you know, all of the, everything that you described. It's one that, slip, one slip. One slip, and that's yeah. it. There's no, and, and there's no getting out of that situation. You know, like right. you can't just take a, a, a flight out of the Arctic. It's not, 
it's yeah. not that easy. And so it's, it, that just adds this layer of, you know, once you're there, you're there and you have to make the once best you're there. It. That's so, so true. That's what I think what I was trying to say with all my words. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It, when it, it, once you're there, you're there. You don't, you, you have to deal with the situation you're in, in real time. Absolutely. You know, I think um, that those, those kinds of stories uh, really appealed to me. And it's so funny you say Michael Crichton. I was just, Publishers Weekly just compared by writing to Michael Crichton of all people. I don't know if you saw that book. Um, and I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, I'll take it. If I could see it because it's the world building. It's it's the the creation of of the tension in the middle of you know you think about Jurassic Park for example you know yeah, it, yeah. or even I mean Michael Crichton created ER I mean that was his mm. his story you know and you look at these these things and how much how much you can't control nature with dinosaurs and you can't control an ER in the middle right. of Chicago you know I mean like it's right. it's a weird it, it it's you don't think about it. You don't tend to think about it. You know, you can't even, most of us, I certainly can't. My sister's a fantastic pastry chef. I can't oh. even control a recipe, you know, like <laughs> I can't make the whipped cream be all nice and frothy, but you know, but and she I can't, can't like control myself around pastry. So there you are. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, when you really stop and think about it, what, what can we really control in this life? Yeah. And so yeah. to have someone you know, I, I think the pairing of, of these twins, you know, Val is a linguist who has this anxiety that keeps her from going out into the world. And then her brother is this, you know, incredible climate scientist who's actually experiencing this depression over not being able to do anything to stop what's happening. And then right. when he cries, it ends up, you know, something happens to him, but there's this, this lingering, like, I mean, as a reader, I felt myself feeling these moments of tension and anxiety over seeing that there were so many, there's so few elements that they can actually control as characters. I mean, he can't control what's going on in, in, on the planet. And, you know, you certainly see how things like climate change and what's going on in nature right now play into this story because certainly the, you know, the Arctic is being impacted by it. And, yeah. you know, the way Good animals time. behave when they're starving as yeah. opposed to, yeah. You know, when they're there, the food is plentiful. You see all of these elements and you've, you've combined them in this, this really interesting way, but you've also given it this other, this added element of this, this child who's in oh, the yeah, ice and, yeah. you know, so it just, it, it even brings, you know, I, and I think, you know, at the, at first pass you say, okay, a child in the ice, you know, okay. So that's almost bordering on science fiction, you know, that's the, right. but then you really start to realize, you know, and, and, and there's a point in the book where, um, Wyatt, one of the scientists, he's, you know, he's talking about core samples that he's taken yeah. and you know, things you can, and, and even if it, with a, a very basic knowledge of, of science in the Arctic, you know, when you hear these core samples every now and then they'll say, oh, we pulled up these, you know, these, these, uh, these bacteria from the core and you're like, oh, well, what's that going to release now what, what exactly but they're starting back in the freezer <laughs> exactly like just leave it there leave you know there. So there's, what are we there's, doing there's so many things that we don't know that are yeah. happening and I think that's what really you know it, it stops being the, the element of science fiction leaves the moment you realize that you're in a place where we really don't have the answers we don't have we're not even close to having all the answers right and there's science that supports that there are there are moments you know in the animal kingdom i mean there's there's iguanas falling from trees right now in florida because exactly. it's cold exactly well but the, there the are way, yeah. there are there, wow. there are things there are animals that that have become frozen and come back to life i mean it, yeah. it's not outside the realm of possibility it's not i mean um the story the story itself was generated by a few different sparks. Uh, and one of them, the, the, the main one was I was um, taking a walk behind my house and I'm lucky enough to have some woods behind there. And there was a, this pond and I saw, it, it was the middle of winter, 2018, I think. And I saw along the edge of the frozen pond, three juve painted juvenile turtles, like mid stroke. <laughs> and I was like, are they dead? or alive or something in between. Yeah. So, so I, 
I ran home and I Googled what can, you know, freeze and thaw it alive. And as you said, I mean, there's this a lip, pretty long, you know, out certain alligators, there's a wood frog. Um, and in the plant world, I mean, they have, they have thought out lichen and mosses that are a hundred thousand years old, put some light on them, put some warmth on them. Boom, there they go. Now you cannot, what happens to a cell when it freezes? It's, well, think of an ice cube, you mm -hmm. know, it's sharp, uh, when it, when ice forms, you know, it's hard and sharp. Uh, and so it destroys a cell. So, okay. So how come, and I was curious about this, you know, how come we can freeze an embryo? And, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I just read that, you know, an embryo is, is called a blastocyst. It's only about 120 cells. So they have figured out a way to safely, I guess, freeze an embryo. I, and I'm not going to keep talking because I'll get, because I just don't know any more than that. But maybe we can continue to understand how to freeze things much larger than that. I mean, it's only a matter of time before crazy things are going to come out. I mean, we have robots that are learning about human nature via social media. I mean, that's terrifying <laughs> to me. True. It's true. You know, I mean, it's biogenics has always been a thing. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. cryogenics, you know, look how many things, and, and that's a huge element of science fiction, but look how many yep. people for years and years said, oh, I'll be cryogenically frozen and then brought back to life. And yes, because I'm a multi-billionaire and I can, <laughs> I can afford it. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean, in this book, I wasn't interested in writing science fiction. I'm, I'm, there's no, I'm just because, not because I don't love science fiction, but I just, I, what I'm fascinated with are things on the very edge of reality and not real, just a little bit, you know, and I only have that, there, there's really only that one uh, speculative element in the book and, the, and, you know, the rest is pretty normal, right? Yeah. But the, but the other, the other thing that I've been carrying around in my head for 40 years about this book is, I don't even know if you know this, uh, there's a 1931 movie, uh, I think it was the original um, of Frankenstein. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. It's this black and white film. And there's this one scene that's toward the end and Frankenstein's monster is bloody and he's hunted and he's, he's had it with humanity. He's suffered every possible which way. And there's this scene where there's this massive blizzard and he's this black blocky silhouette and this blizzard is just slowly erasing him because he said, screw it, you know, to mm -hmm. humanity. And he's just disappears. And this, this white just erases him. And I, that really just broke my heart. It broke my heart, you know, because and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the reasons why. And I, and, and, you know, I think it's man's inhumanity and intolerance for, for our own human variety, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and probably other stuff that's a lot more deeply psychological, but, you know, maybe I can't, maybe I, you know, I was bullied as a kid. So maybe I'm identifying with him because he was bullied and I went my own way. I certainly went my own way, but um, and I also think of the Arctic center, the Arctic setting, look, look at what water can do. Look at the shapes it can take on. People trash winter. I'm like, winter is the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. Absolutely. I mean, it, look at outside. It is, look at the shapes. It's going to change every day, all day. Uh, even you can track animals. You can see what kind of animals been behind your house. I mean, how fascinating is that? I think I, I think there's bobcat tracks behind my house. Now I have to consult my my nerdy little track <laughs> track guide. I'm such a nerd with that. But anyway, it's no, fun. I but and and I think that's what makes the story so so well constructed because you have so many elements. There's so you know there is, you know, it, it's not science fiction, but the, that element 
is there. You have the, the yeah. little bit, you know, and, and I think the best, the only reason I keep saying science fiction is because it's the best science fiction is the, is where it's not really there. You know, it doesn't right. have to be robots. Or it's just that one element. That's just this it's, one thing that's this little shift, you know, that's yeah. like, um, you know, Rod Sterling. It's like, but people can't, you know, walk on the water, but in this is in the episode they can, and, but that's the only thing and everything else is normal. I mean, I don't know. Always, yeah, you know, no. with with that you know oh yeah and but the, that's I mean I grew up on the twilight zone my mom yeah that was, that was something we watched all the time and so I think in my mind I mean I've I've read I've read you know actual hardcore science fiction books where people have talked about automatons that were you know which apparently were kind of a thing in you know 200 years ago where they would have these yeah. little robot creatures yeah. of the time yeah. and I had myself convinced for a, a really good amount of time after reading this book that there were somehow somehow I didn't know these were real and it, it was it was just it was just a really well written yeah book, like you but, just like you're like you're embarrassed to say well I really never knew <laughs> yeah. but it you know? just you know it's it's like you, you kind of stop and you think okay well this this could be possible and so in it and I think you know to your point that that winter is so beautiful the arctic is one of the last places that hasn't yes. really been touched destroyed. by humanity well, it's being destroyed and, I mean and, uh, but yeah, you know, it's so true. Let me tell you. So, I mean, Greenland, you know, the total population of Greenland, this massive, massive place, 56,000 people. That's crazy. Okay, so I live in Framingham, that's just 77,000 people. So think of the, a land mass, you know, half the size of the United States. There are universities okay. with 56,000 people at them, you know, exactly. just, just a university by itself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm density. not great with numbers. It took me a while to really gra <laughs> grasp the uh, enormity of that statement. And that's one of the things that's kind of terrifying when you go there. I mean, in the jungle, I felt, yeah, you know, I felt there weren't a lot of people, but I, I was near a village. I, I was near help. Um, not, not in Greenland. We went way out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people, people had rifles for polar bears and there was this like totally goofy looking electric fence around our, our encampment. I'm like, that's going to give out a polar bear. I don't know. <laughs> and then you just go to sleep and hope that you wake up. And I always did, but, um, it was yeah it was it was quite the quite the journey yeah but talking about talking about things that are on the edge of reality there's a book called um machines like me by ian McEwen, who is a genius and you know it's about a man who buys uh, a robot and brings him home and bad things happen and it's Again, that element, that's just one element. Um, what a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's, you know, that's, again, you know, kind of looking at how you crafted this story, you know, and, and, and I think the Twilight Zone aspect kind of really plays into this because here you have this amazing, this amazing event. You have this child who's thawed from the ice. Yeah. And we're not going to get into spoilers of, you know, the hows and the whys and the wherefores or anything like that. Yeah, but yeah immediately there is this push and pull towards the morality of what you yeah. do with a child who's been pulled from the ice and yeah just that the the science you know the discovery that this is possible these things play out in your book where you have you know there are certain forces saying okay well this has happened but we must protect her whereas right. there's other forces that you know it, it very you know, this is very everyday life. You know, this happens all the time where people want to, um, you know, they, they want to exploit it and they, they want, want to take advantage of the situation. I think it's okay. We can talk. I think, you know, Wyatt is got his own plans for this girl. Mm -hmm. um, he wants to know how she did it. How did she thaw out alive? And he believes that she can talk about it if Val can translate this language. Mm -hmm. And the more, and this girl is traumatized 
I mean, she's she's dirty. She's freaking out. She 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 has woken up not even wearing clothes. She went to sleep in. She doesn't recognize anyone. She doesn't know where she is. Where are her parents? And so she's inconsolable. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to communicate. She doesn't trust anyone. So a big part of the story is Val. You know, Val. Val is this linguist. She has no children. She most of her life is translating these quite dry, dry documents. Um, and since she's got this sort of paranoia about being in the world, she does everything in her office. She really doesn't travel, even though she's been given opportunities. Uh, so. In the beginning, you know, when she gets this email from Wyatt saying, we found this girl, will you come here? Mm-hmm. She is just so conflicted because she's terrified to leave her university setting. At the same time, here is something for the first time in her life that might be meaningful in a, in a, in a, in a living, in the living world, you know, in the living world. And so, so her a big part of her journey is to make a connection with this girl and and it's not for the reasons why it wants to make a connection uh so um there's there's that and it was hard to write a character it was hard to write someone like sigrid like the girl because she can't speak, huh? Uh, you know, how, how does she communicate? And what is she trying to say? And I'm not gonna say any more than that, but it has to do with what happened to her, you know, what happened to her, why she was in that glacier, so, yeah. And I think that's, you know, having Val as a linguist is so fascinating because the language, her understanding of language, how language works, I mean, I, I'm kind of a nerd in the sense that I've, I've studied languages for fun. So yeah, you know, I was in a bilingual go, program girl. for, you know, for high school, for junior high and high school where everything was what? taught in Spanish. Oh, Spanish. It was Spanish and English. And then when I was in high yeah. school, you know, as I'm taking Spanish, I thought I want to take, I think I'm gonna take French now. And yeah. I had spent the summer reading a book about French and how, it, how you conjugate that. I was like, oh, that's how you do it in Spanish. That's easy. So within three years, I was taking advanced French, you know, like awesome. I went from right. skipped years. And then when I was in college, I said, you know what, I'm going to take, there was a class on Sanskrit. I think I'm going to take that because that's fascinating. And then in the course of that class, it was like that professor, you know, also taught Latin and Greek. So we were getting a little bit of everything. And I I just ate it up. I, you know, as as I told you before we started, like I majored in history, I majored in political science, but I added a history major because it was fun and it's what I love. So like, it was just, I was like my my guilty pleasure was my history major because I could just go and explore things. It was like, you know, going yeah. on a trip every class. But oh, wow, I like that. What I love is that, you know, the language, like when you understand how languages work and the economy of language is such a fascinating thing because in some cultures, you don't have expressions, you know, expressions don't work the way they work for, you know, in, in, for an English language, for example, or even- Yes, you know, they're culturally specific. They're culturally, yeah. and I was on a panel this weekend um, about women and aging and of all things. And I talked about that word, uh, the Japanese word shibui, which mm-hmm. hopefully I'm saying it right, but it's, it means the beauty of aging, which, in this culture, we do not have that concept, right? Because we don't re- really see aging as being beautiful. It's a we worship youth and beauty and sexiness and all this evanescent stuff. Um, but you know, you, and then there's the whole sort of cliche. You know, there's a there's twenty words for snow. You know, in the Arctic. Well, there are several words for snow, but there are 140 words for ice. Now, why is that? It's, it's because knowing what kind of ice is out there is crucial to your survival. Is it new ice? Is it just that leathery kind of ice that's just forming that won't support a human body? Is it, is it old ice that's incredibly hard to cut, for example, for, to, to make an igloo? Is it 
fresh ice? Well, you know, is it the kind of ice that will split and that a seal might come up uh, and as a breathing hole? So, you know, I think that words are culturally specific and, and, and come about out of necessity mm -hmm. as well. You know, there's the culture and then there's, I have to tell you something, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, every conversation is, uh, is because I want something and you want something. And then I want, and it's just, right. you know, um, that's why it's, it's just fascinating. So, yeah. And that's, and it, you know, again, you combine all of these elements and they work so well, because how would you how would you know? Like, you know, that's, it's, it's, you know, finding a common language, finding ways to speak to someone yeah. who isn't, you know, it, and it's not even just, it's not even a language barrier. It's, it's the trauma of what she's going through, you know, what Sigrid yeah. is going through and, you know, there's, there's so many elements to it. And um, yeah, and she doesn't, she doesn't trust anyone. And she, why should she, why should right. she, you know, you can, like, I can learn a language, you can learn a language, but if I don't want to talk to you, I'm not going to talk to you if you don't right. want to talk to me. I mean, I don't care what you understand of what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So this is what was happening um, until something changed and it became necessary that Sigrid communicate with Val. And then that progressed really quickly. Um, but, you know, just another example in, in Greenlandic and East Greenlandic, anyway, there's East Greenlandic believe it or not, and then there's West Greenlandic, Greenlandic, and then there's, I'm not saying it right, but Inuktitut, which is spoken by fewer than a thousand Greenlanders. Um, so think about it, that, oh, in a country with 56,000 people, you have half of them really not communicating very well with the other half, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, but they have a word for, climate change and translated literally it means a friend acting strangely wow which i thought was like such a beautiful thing now we don't have a word for climate change that translates like that because we don't see nature as a friend right we see nature as you know i read these stupid weather reports oh bomb bomb cyclone or it's going to be horrible <laughs> today and it's like no don't describe the day as horrible it's called winter yeah it's not our enemy you know cold is not our enemy per se even heat is not our enemy per se it's just what's happening right. and why are we so divorced from the natural the natural world it's it's we need to get out there. I mean, it is true that there's no bad weather. There's just bad clothes. Yeah. There's just yeah. bad, there's just bad clothes. But there's also a beautiful word um, in Greenlandic that means the joy. It, I don't know the word, but it, it means the joy of being in nature. Uh, we don't have a word for that, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, I mean, I know I sound like nature girl and I kind of am, you know, because <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. There's, yeah, and I think, yeah. you know, it, it really, you know, thinking about, you know, thinking about what's going on in the, the Arctic, you know, the ice caps and, and mm -hmm. you know, around the world globally, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about what your, what Adrian said in the jungle about, you know, the importance mm -hmm. of listening and, yes. you know, it's, it is traumatic to think of climate change and to think of what's going on, but there's also that element where we have to listen, you know, and we have, we have to think to about how do we, you know, I, I was reading an article that, um, you know, so I'm in San Diego and we have, yeah. you know, obviously it's like a perpetual drought in California. Yes. And yet, you know, one of the things that keeps happening is they, you know, we've got to build more houses. We have to have more houses. We have, to have you know, we have, and they never stop to address like, well, where does the water come from to help? Yeah you know, right. serve these populations. If you tear down one house and, you know, that's a big thing right now is that, you know, you tear down single family homes are bad. So you tear down a, a home and you put four in its place. So now you have, you know, you went from that many more people, that many more right. resources. So how do you, you know, it's, but we're not, we're not listening. Maybe we need to, to do something different to, yeah. you know, it, it's just, it, there's no easy answer to it. 
you know, because there's it's, no it's, easy it, answer. It goes beyond borders. It goes beyond. It's not just a, a you know, a, a national country issue. It's, it's every, it's, it's the global issue, but. Well, there's only, you, you know, what's weather, so. It's listening, yeah, you know, it's, 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 listening. Just, you know, it's just listening to, to what's going on and, you know, understand, I think so many, you know, one of the beautiful things about the way that, that you tell Sigrid's story is that her, she comes from a culture where people have to adapt. They have adapted, they have found ways. That's not easy to do, you know, as you, you know, and we even talked or you were talking at the beginning of, of when you started talking about, you know, being in these environments, you know, we live in houses, we control the environment, we control, we think we're controlling all these things, but yes, you know, what happens when we can't or, right. you know, right. things change to where we have to make changes. Now we have these permanent places but we have to change. How do we do that? You know, we don't, it's not just pick up and move somewhere else. It's, it's a little bit more complicated now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when I, when, and like 10, how long ago was it? Oh, it's going to like 12 years ago now. I think I was, I was pretty much, I was at a really low point and uh, in my life, I lost my job. I couldn't find another job. None of my books were selling. I was like, am I ever going to, you know, publish a book? And I literally <laughs> had nothing to do with myself. And my husband was said, you know, um, do what you love to do, you know, write another book. And I'm like, screw you, that doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> so what I did do was I, I said, okay, I'm gonna take a walk every day in the woods. And that's what I started to do. I started taking a walk every day in the woods for an hour and I did it in the rain. I did it in the snow, in the sleet, in storms, in drought and heat. And it changed me. I felt better. I felt more positive and secure me of, you know, whatever, being myself. <laughs> I mean, I slept better. My mood was better. And I thought no matter, okay, so nothing's going on, but this is the one thing and I'm going to build everything else around this walk even if I have to do it at dawn or dusk or whatever it is, which are frankly great times to walk because that's when animals come out, but not only in the jungle, but you know, uh, around here. And so that changed my life. And I really think that, and I didn't want to go with anyone because I wanted to listen. And I think it's really, I mean, I see these people on the trails and they've got their headphones. I'm like, why? Yeah have to let it go you you or just it's great to walk with a friend and i'm not trashing that but i'm saying if you just take a walk in the woods by yourself every day you can change your life or someplace in nature mm -hmm. and let yourself breathe um i also feel that there there have been all these studies about trees and it's almost common knowledge now that there's something called the wood wide web do you know what that is yeah i've heard of that yes, it's about how trees and plants communicate underground through neural networks via their roots and also fungal systems but i won't get too much into that but um and they've discovered stuff like you know the the mother tree or the parent tree if it knows it's dying, will release its sugars to its children, to its saplings, so that those little guys can live or release its water if there's a drought. Um, I believe, like we were talking about earlier, that there is so much we don't know. And I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. I don't wanna know, part of me doesn't wanna know why I feel so good when I come out of the woods. I just think there's something beautiful out there yeah. that that I don't that we're destroying. Yes, but it's still there. Um, and I believe that human mind, for its own health, needs mystery. Yeah. So we need mystery. We have to have it. Uh, it satisfies something really deep in our temporal lobe, you know, like we Absolutely. need to not know everything because the deepest question of all is why are we here? And we'll never answer that question. 
right. that we can still ask countless other questions. What lives at the deepest point of the ocean? We don't know. Thank God. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know how all this works. Yeah. But we, but we do know that acacia trees in Africa, if they're being chewed upon by a giraffe, will release some kind of chemical so that neighboring acacia trees will release a bad tasting chemical in their leaves so the giraffes don't eat them yeah now i'm sorry who needs that's a miracle that's I, that's that's it when i learned that i was like i'm good for the day yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm good you know i'm just you know i'm gonna sleep like a baby now because i'm gonna go to sleep thinking about <laughs> these trees talking to each other and protecting each other yeah you yeah. know i'm just happy now so. Oh, so now, I mean, that begs the question because, you know, you've written three distinctly different stories and you've gone on these research adventures. And obviously it's been difficult to go anywhere in yeah. the past, for the past two years, which has kind of made it, made it challenging. But do you have your sights set on another adventure or a place that you, you know, a dream place now that you've, you know, you've conquered the jungle, you've, you've, you've gone to the Arctic, you've gone to, you know, the wild my friends say are you going to the moon where are you going <laughs> um so so what i do for each book is number one the number one thing is the story you know okay. if i don't have a story i don't i don't go anywhere what's the point people aren't just it's you know i don't write it's not a travel log so mm -hmm. that's that's really important to keep in mind i mean i write entertainment i'm very conscious of it and also it's really important to know the story before i leave because i will I, I went, I can't go on a trip and not know what I'm looking for. Like, you know, who do I interview? You know, what, what do I need to know? I like when I went to the jungle, I really wanted to talk to a shaman and I was able to set that up and ask him about his life through a translator and all this stuff. So, um, but my next book, um, I'm hard at work at on it and it's called The Intelligence. Oh. And it's about nature turning on us for all we've done. And um, mushrooms are involved. Wow. Not because mushrooms are hot right now, but because <laughs> uh, uh, I just am fascinated with it. And I don't wanna talk much more about it, but basically, so the uh, protagonist has to answer the paradox how do you defeat an enemy you desperately need for your own survival? So um, there's that. And I can't talk much more about it because I just will not be articulate at all. <laughs> um, that's really, let's focus on girl and I. So, you know, yeah, no, no, at I this love point. That. Yeah, so anyway, th there'll be more to talk about in another year or so. Oh, that's exciting so, though, that yeah. is exciting. Thank you. I'm just, I'm so excited. I cannot wait for people to read Girl and Ice because it's just, it's for all, I mean, just having this conversation, having, having read the book. And I, I think I might even have to put a little disclaimer out because you, you learn so much about the book. Now I, I'm kind of wondering, I think people will listen to this conversation and get so much more from the book because I know that I, having read the book and now seeing the book in a very different way. And it just enhances my appreciation of the story. So I'm just, I'm just absolutely thrilled that we were able to have this conversation. Well, that's and you're doing, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, you're the one who does these marvelous, you know, you, you got it out of me. <laughs> well, you know? it, this is just, I, I just, I, I can't even tell you how spectacular it is to read something and just come away from it saying, wow, that was just so fresh and different and unexpected. And, you know, and I always tell people, I mean, I, if I don't like something, I just won't talk about it. Like I'm not yeah, that I know. person. That's, that's the best I can't, it's just answer. not worth the energy to me to, 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 yeah, to willfully say something negative. If I didn't like, of course I have to put a little, a little disclaimer out there because it also means I might not have gotten time to write about it. So don't make any assumptions. If I didn't talk about right, it, right, not, right. don't assume I hated it. It just means no, I might not good. have gotten that's to good. it. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah. it's just, everything that I, you know, when I, especially when I'm talking about books, because there are some 
really not great books out in the world yeah. that we don't talk about. And, you know, I mean, and it's not that every book is special in its own way, but they don't, maybe they don't resonate with everybody. Right. This is the kind of book where I think anyone could pick up this book, find something they connect with and go on an adventure that they're not expecting and come away with a, a really incredible experience from having read it. And, and honestly, wow. I, will I you be my agent? <laughs> I, no, I no, I love my agent. But, but, no, if you're listening, I love you. But it's, I absolutely see that. And I could see it becoming a movie just and having that same kind of impact as, you know, any Michael Crichton movie out there or, you know, any of the other, other ones, because it's just so, it hits on so many things that resonates with the reader. So it's, um, this has just been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I'm so excited that the book is, is, is by the time people are are listening to this, the book will be available and they can experience it March 1st. Yeah. 13 days or something crazy. Oh my gosh. God, I know I can't. Like I need, I need an outfit. I don't know what I need. <laughs> a walk in the woods. <laughs> I need a walk in the woods. That's what I need. I need to calm down. Oh my God. No. No. Oh, walk gosh. in the woods. <laughs> Followed by a large glass of wine. And then it's there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And, and you know what? We have to, we have to do this again. We, I cannot wait to we'll hear about it future stories and everything and yeah yeah so I look forward to it so. you're, you're so kind thank you so much oh thank you thank you so much and and congratulations on this incredible story